Welcome to Episode 7 of the Axiom Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Brannon. Thanks for coming back to another episode of the Axiom Podcast. Today we're going to talk about uh, kind of pretty much time and task management for teams. But before we get into that, uh, I've got a few things that I need to follow up on. We've been going for several weeks now, and uh, as I record this week, I'm sitting on the shores of beautiful Lake Defuniac in Defuniac Springs, Florida. We're traveling with family and uh, finding a suitable studio, if you will, uh, where we're staying was not going to be feasible. There's a, a lot happening. We're having a great time and uh, boisterous, fun house houses are not exactly the uh, best place to record podcasts. So I snuck out this morning and I'm um, enjoying the scenery here. You may hear some more background noise or the audio quality is a little bit different than it, than it usually is. That's the reason uh, next week we'll be back in the studio to record again. Uh, but today, man, it's be- it's beautiful out here. It's just a gorgeous place. So the uh, the podcast has been going. We're on episode seven, so we're almost two months in. And uh, I want to thank a few people. Paul Carson uh, th- from Thrival has just been amazing with his uh, feedback and suggestions and um, just giving me a lot of encouragement. And I really appreciate you, Paul. Thanks for for speaking up and speaking out and getting other people involved. I appreciate that. Brian Coleman and Megan Smith also left reviews on iTunes. I really appreciate that. If you enjoy the content, if you're getting something out of it, I really ask you to go to iTunes and leave a review. We do want to make a mark. We want this to be an endearing podcast and and uh, and, and also enduring. We want this to be out there for, for a long time to come. And we'd like to get uh, some other people's notice outside of the small community that uh, friends and, and colleagues that I work with. Uh, so if you could go there and leave a review, uh, really appreciate that. And also comments on the, um, on the show notes page. Each episode has a show notes page. You can find that at uh, axiomstrategic.com slash podcast. And the show notes for this session uh, will be uh, axiomstrategic.com slash podcast slash 007. So if you have feedback for the show, uh, something that you want to follow up on, a question that you have, or uh, a, a situation where um, you kind of identify with what, what was being said and want to help some other people out by sharing your scenario, uh, please go there and leave, those, leave that feedback there. Um, so this week, and this goes back to Paul again, Paul doing what he does best, just really kind of stimulating uh good thought and and giving some great feedback says uh, when we did the time and task management show and i have to go back and get the the episode for that and put it in the show notes but a few weeks ago we did a, a show on time and task management and paul said you know what about using omnifocus which is the tool that i use for my time and task management system um, what about using omnifocus for teams how would you do that or or would you recommend it and one of the things that I've that was on my list of stuff to talk about is project management. Project management is is a big part of what I do with clients on a day in day out basis. So it's it's kind of the heart and soul of my business is project management. 
and when I go into companies, a lot of times we're teaching them how to to, um, to how to fish, so to speak, and do their own time our own project management. <clears throat> so that's one of the things that I knew I wanted to talk about. But in the progression leading up to that, I think there's some things that have to be done before you can can kind of get good at project management. And so I was thinking about what are what are those things that I should be talking about? And part of it's time and task management, but I couldn't really wrap my arms around it until Paul asked that question. And then it kind of clicked for me that before you get into project management, you really have to have a culture that's going to make that successful. And that may sound weird to have a culture that makes project management successful, but it comes back to how how good the various team members are at their own time and task management. So that's what I wanted to talk about today. It's it maybe you could look at it as an extension um, of time and task management or maybe time and task management at the advanced level, or you could look at it as here are the things that you have to do um, housekeeping-wise before you can get to good project management at the team level. But however you, wherever you want to come from it, or come at it from, um, it's related to both. It kind of it sits in this really weird space between what the individuals are doing with time and task management and what the project or what the team is doing with project management. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And it, it may not be a very long episode, I, but I think that every time, and then I look down and we're an hour in, and and I've talked too much. But if if this resonates with you. Um, Again, leave a comment on the show notes page at actiumstrategic.com slash podcast slash 007, and um, we can pick this thread back up because this effect, it's, this is one of those kind of skill sets that affects a lot of what you do. It's not a one-and-done thing, and it may take a long time to get to the kind of stuff we're going to talk about this morning that has more of a cultural uh, impact on the organization. So before we start getting into the the nuts and bolts of how-to, I'll share a story with you. And this comes out of my client file, so obviously I changed the names to protect the guilty. But when we come into organizations, we always know what we're getting ourselves into because we do a ton of due diligence and we take some time to meet the different people we're going to be working with. But even with what I think is a pretty uh, thorough due diligence process, we still, once we get in and get you know three, four, five, six weeks in, we start learning a whole lot of stuff that we didn't know. Then there's some skeletons in the closet that start coming out. And business owners, to their credit, uh, a lot of times are very reluctant to be completely honest about what their team members are good and not good at, especially what they're not good at uh, when we first get involved with them. So as we we get a few weeks in, we start finding out that some people on the team really stink at some things that that, that they shouldn't stink at that are kind of core competencies to their job. So we started working with this company, and this was a couple years ago. And one of the, the things that we started to notice was that there was a lot of, um, I don't want to say animosity, but, but almost distrust between the people who are in the office and some of the people who are out in the field. And we, I would be in the office on a regular basis, and I would hear comments about people who are out in the field, and they were almost comments of exasperation. 
And and then I would start getting emails from the business owner who was forwarding me um, emails that other team members had sent him complaining about the performance of some of these people out in the field. And it all had to do with follow-up. So what was happening is customers were calling in and they needed these people who were out in the field to do certain things that they had said they were going to do, whether it was, you know, I'll be over there on Monday morning to take a look at your problem or um, I will get that paperwork back to you within the next couple of days. And then it just wasn't happening. And so the customers were calling the field person and that person just wasn't returning phone calls or um, would would receive the message and then call the person back and leave a message and there was this telephone tag thing going back and forth and it just it wasn't a good situation because nothing was getting done now there were a couple of reasons for that that you you kind of have to go back to the field person and say um you know i know for one thing that we're super super slammed like this company was setting sales records on a weekly basis. So they had tons of stuff coming in the door. And so the people who were in the field, they really were kind of overwhelmed at some point. And they just, they were having a hard time keeping up with everything that was landing on their plate. So I get that. You know, that's that's going to happen sometimes. And we need to cut them a little bit of slack. But it wasn't just that it was a, a one-time um, issue of of being slammed because over the course of several months we were able to observe you know periods when things did slow down times when uh, there was a a chance to catch the breath and there was no improvement and so we started wondering whether it was uh, you know do we have the right people on board and we looked at their competencies and they were okay I mean they 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 weren't probably going to be um you know, like national leaders in their respective fields or anything, but their their skill sets and what they're good at, they did kind of line up with the positions that they had. And we wondered if they had been trained well enough. Uh, and so over the next, you know, month or so, uh, we started to standardize processes and get them trained on certain things and, and have tracking mechanisms set up so that we would know who was doing what, when, and everybody should be on the same page and and so we kind of took care of the training aspect of of standardizing the way that everybody did stuff so that we couldn't say, well, you know, the person wasn't able to get off the hook by going, well, I didn't know I was supposed to do it that way. And the problem just never got any better. And not only did it not get any better, but this dynamic between the people who were in the office receiving calls from disgruntled customers whose whose calls hadn't been returned and they couldn't get in touch with their field person. Um, the, the distrust between the office and the field just just kept getting worse and worse and worse to the point where uh, the, field, the, the people in the office were starting to cut out certain members of the team and, and just completely ignore them for their respective job position. If it was um, if it was sales, they wouldn't send any more leads to that salesperson. If it was somebody who was um, on something like a repair crew, they would not send any more assignments to that repair crew. And it just got to the point where culturally it was a very dysfunctional place. 
And it had nothing to do with the systems that the company was putting into place. So the, the, the company had systems, and they weren't just work for work's sake, which is kind of the worst kind of process you can put in place. But these were actual, you know, kind of cut back to the essential elements of what needs to get done. Let's standardize the process. Let's put it in an easy, the easiest way to implement the most uh, friction-free tool set that, that was available for recording this or that or, you know, whatever it happened to be. Um, everybody felt like we had done a really good job of putting processes in place and standardizing some things, but this cultural aspect just was not getting there. So it came down to time and task management, uh, but it was time and task management at the individual level. And that's where you can have a culture that becomes very, very dysfunctional. And so once, I, once we kind of recognized this, it started to show up in other places too, in other client situations. And once I started to know what to look for, uh, I, could, I could very easily spot when this was becoming an issue. So when, and so how did, how, did Paul's, how did Paul's question kind of lead into this? So you would think that, okay, and I'll explain what this means in a second. So time and task management at the individual level is the root cause. So what we really need to fix that is time and task management at the team level, and, and that will fix it. And that is not the case. So in one sense, this podcast is, is about why OmniFocus for Teams is a terrible idea. And, and that might be a good uh, tagline for the episode. And, not, and I'm not talking about the, the feature set or, or the tool itself in OmniFocus. OmniFocus, I think, is a great tool. But the idea of using OmniFocus for Teams is probably not a great idea. And the reason is because it will not address the cultural dysfunction that's occurring inside the company when not everyone is committed to excellence with time and task management. And the reason for that is that committing to excellence on time and task management is very, very simple. It simply means that I do what I say I'm going to do when I say I'm going to do it. So it comes down to, to two kind of central values in the organization, which are trust and integrity. And if the individuals at the most basic level, at the personal level, person to person, if they lack integrity in that they will not be their word, when they say they're going to do something, they don't actually do it, then there's not going to be a, a high level of trust in the team among the team. And when there's not a high level of trust among the team, all kinds of dysfunctional stuff starts to happen. You have all kinds of workarounds. You have um, all kinds of cutting corners or cutting people out. And it's not a good, It's well, I can tell you from personal experience, it's not a great place to work. So how do you fix it? What is the, what's the cure to this cultural dysfunction? Well, Rather than something like OmniFocus for Teams and just you know put all of your faith and stock in a tool set and say, we're going to make everybody learn how to use this particular tool, it's, you're much better off teaching each individual person how to become better at keeping their integrity. And that may sound like a, a tall order. It's, you know, integrity may not, you may not feel like integrity can be something that's taught. 
but it actually can. It's not that difficult. It, what it really involves is creating a series of small wins for your employees where they can get the opportunity to not only commit to something but deliver on it and then get the support and encouragement from their teammates that will make that a reinforceable habit, something that they can go back to again and again. So once you you have um, this list of folks, you kind of have to go down your team org chart and decide who stinks at this stuff. And it's not very difficult to figure out. I mean, you're, you're going to know. And I, and I can tell who's good at time and task management in one meeting. If clients give me one meeting with their team, I can tell them at the end of that meeting who needs a system uh, and who's probably going to have a hard time following through. Now, there are exceptions. Sometimes I'm wrong, and I'll tell you when that happens, but it's incredibly rare that I'm wrong on this. So all you have to do is have one meeting, and it has to be some kind of operational meeting. And I like to be in charge of it for the obvious reasons you're going to discover in a second. But if we can get into some kind of operational meeting where we are tackling an issue that the company needs to tackle, in other words, this isn't a strategic thing where it's stuff we we can do, or you know, we may do, we may not do. It's kind of optional stuff. This is like um, we're having an issue in the warehouse because I say inventory is disappearing. Okay, so how are we going to fix this? And that's a very nuts and bolts. We've got to make some decisions. There's some action steps that we need to take. So once we've fleshed the issue out, we'll start parsing out you know whatever the action steps are. We'll start giving those out to the team. And if I see people writing stuff down, then that's a good sign. But here's the here's the critical difference. If I say to if you, if if you're the person that I'm talking to, and I say, um, you know, Sean, here's the, here are the here are the things that we need you to take care of um, in the next two weeks. And so Sean pulls out his his pen and his legal pad that's in front of him, and he starts writing down the things that we're, we're giving to him. If Susan, who's sitting next to Sean, is also writing that stuff down, there's a really good chance that Susan is good at managing her own time and task management. And you'll see why that's the case in, in a second. Um, if people aren't writing their stuff down and they're not writing somebody else's stuff down, then chances are... The, one, they're just being insubordinate and they don't believe in what we're trying to do. Um, or two, they just really stink at time and task management. Or three, they're really good at it and they just have a phenomenal memory. And I've run into a few people like that, but it's probably been two or three people out of two or three hundred. So, you know, maybe there are one percenter that's pretty good at this kind of stuff, uh, just from rote memory. And, you know, sometimes you run into those folks in uh, like restaurants and stuff, you know, the, the server who can take your order and not have to write anything down. But like I said, you're talking about one out of a hundred. So generally, if people are writing stuff down, that's a good sign. If they're writing their stuff down, that's what you'd expect. If they're writing somebody else's stuff down, that's really, really good uh, because it means that they they not only expect to hold somebody else accountable, they expect to be held accountable. Um, so th- those are are good signs to have. Now, if you run across that person who's not writing anything down, and 
you just don't get the sense that they're going to remember this much past the end of the meeting. I don't like to do it in the meeting, but after the meeting, I'll go to that person's office and just say, hey, do you mind if I ask you a question? Um, I noticed you weren't writing anything down in the meeting. Is did you have you written it down since then? Is that just because you're gonna wait till you get to your office to write it down, or do you just not write that kind of? Tell me what your process looks like for keeping track of all the stuff that's on your plate, and that can be a very very fruitful conversation. Sometimes they'll say, um, "Well, I and I've actually heard this before." Um, well, you only gave me a couple things. I knew I wasn't going to forget what they are. And I have this spreadsheet on my computer that I put all of my stuff in. And so, you know, there wasn't a lot of point in me just writing it down on a notepad because I was just going to have to type it back in here um, because this is where I keep all my stuff. Uh, you know, with smartphones, everybody has a smartphone in their pocket now. Sometimes that spreadsheet or whatever it, whatever tool it is is on their phone so they can do it in the meeting there as well. And I've heard people say, um, well, I keep all my stuff in my phone. I knew I wasn't going to forget it in the 15 minutes between the end of the meeting and when I could pull my phone out. But I just don't like to pull my phone out and type on it during the meeting. You go, okay, well, you, that's I like that. That's very respectful because too many people do pull out their phone and type on it during the meeting. <clears throat> so... <clears throat> Excuse me. So once you get a sense for who's good at it and who's not, you're going to have plenty of opportunities as you start to work with the business or if these are people inside your own company you already know from your personal experience with them, who's good at this stuff and who's not. And once you know who's good at it and who's not, you can determine whether they even have a system. If they don't have a system, you can give them one. So that's the first thing, is making sure that everybody on your team has a system. And if they say, sometimes you will have that conversation and they go, well, you know, sometimes I write it down here. Sometimes I put it in my phone. A lot of it's in my email inbox. And you go, you know what, you just need a system. And for it, for some people who you know well enough and you know that they are are readers, like they like books, they like information, it's very, very easy. You just give them a copy of David Allen's book, Getting Things Done, and you say, read this and call me if you have any questions. You should be through it in a week or so, and uh, I'll touch base with you, and we can start putting your system together. If the, they're the kind of person who don't read books, which sadly is more and more frequently the case, I go into companies and the salespeople just don't read or even people on the senior management team are like, oh, yeah, um, you know, the boss gave me this book at our last retreat two years ago and I'm still working on it. And you go, oh, come on. You know, it's, you know I, I don't get people who don't read books because I just think it's one of the the – kind of fundamental skill sets as human beings that we should be reading. But anyway, that's my soapbox. If they don't read, and they're, they're not going to read um, Alan's book, which is a very good book, then I just break it down for them. And, and there's a few things that I think are fundamentals, and these all are rip-offs from David Allen. But I can explain David Allen to somebody in about five minutes. So here it goes. Number one is... You have to write stuff down, whether that is on uh, in your computer, whether that's in your phone. I don't care where it is, but stuff has to go down in written form 
or it didn't happen. So don't rely on your brain to keep track of this stuff. It's just not going to work. And for every every chunk of information that you try to keep up there, you're basically uh, pulling mental capital out of play for other things that you could be using it on. So the you know there's a couple of things that work well for that. I mentioned the the phone. There's all kinds of, of applications and software tools that they can also use for that. There's all kinds of uh, little notebooks and things that they can use. I really like these um, little moleskin notebooks that you can kind of take everywhere with you. They work great for this, but you've got to be able to write stuff down. Number two is there's a difference between tasks and projects. And the difference is a, a project is two or more tasks, and a task is the next physical action that you need to take to move the project forward. So... If the if the some people will say, well, what, you know, what's on your to do list this weekend? Oh, well, I've got to clean out the garage. Well, clean out the garage is not a task. Clean out the garage is actually a project, because the first thing that you need to do to clean out the garage might be to get the cars out of the garage. Uh, the second thing that you might need to do is go to the store and get a bunch of trash bags. The third thing you might need to do is borrow your friend's uh, trailer so that you can cart a bunch of stuff to goodwill as you pull it out. The fourth thing you might need to do is, um, oh, I don't know. So there's a, a bunch of boxes in the middle. Let's move the boxes out into the driveway and sort them by donations, um, stuff we need to organize and stuff we just need to throw away. And the fifth thing you need to do is go through all your tools and decide which ones are working and which ones are are not working. So you get the sense, you know, if you have a ta- an actual task list, then it becomes fairly easy for you to start working through that task list. And I'm going to pause here for a second because there's a monster freight train about to roll through about 50 yards from where I'm sitting. And if I don't pause, all you're going to hear is the train for the next two minutes. So stay tuned. Okay, so the train is fading into the background. But I gotta admit that was pretty cool. Um, so, back to the, kind of the essence of David Allen and in teaching somebody getting things done in five minutes. The difference between tasks and projects is one of those fundamental things that everybody can get. They start to understand it almost immediately. And I mentioned something in the Time and Task Management show a few weeks ago where we talked about micro planning. And microplanning is all about basically turning a task into a project so that you can list out all of the kind of subcomponents of it on just its most basic level and start to work through them. And so that at that level, understanding the distinction between tasks, tasks and projects is really, really helpful in getting you unstuck. And if you, if you struggle with procrastination, if you struggle with this thing that's been on my plate and I just haven't been able to even get started on it yet, go back and listen to that segment in the Time and Task Management show where I talk about micro-planning. Um, and I appreciate Megan's feedback where she said, hey, this has been hugely helpful for me. So that was um, that's an immediate takeaway that everybody gets. So number one of getting things done, basics is write stuff down. Number two is understanding the difference between tasks and projects. Number three is a waiting for list. And a waiting for list is incredibly important. I remember when I first started doing getting things done back in the early 2000s, like 2001, 2002, somewhere in there, 
The waiting for list was my secret weapon. This thing got me more credibility and more buy-in for the things that I wanted to do than anything else I was doing in the time and task management space. So a waiting for list basically works like this. If I ask somebody for something that I need, I put that on my list. And I put, not only do I put it on my list, but I put the date that I asked for it on. And this was incredibly effective, like I said, at gaining me credibility. The reason is, um, especially with clients, this was a, a big thing. So at the time, I'm doing a lot of tax returns. And uh, you're always missing information to prepare the tax return, whether it's something that they didn't give you or whether it's a question that you have and you just need more information on something. There's always some reason that you have to go back to the client for something. And so I would go back. Here's the way it would usually work before I I got my waiting for list. I would send the client an email or in those days even a fax. and, um, And I'd say, these are the things that I still need from you. And there might be four things on the list, and they would um, they would send me like within a day or two they would send me the first two things on the list, but not the last three. And so I would follow up and go, "Thanks for this. Here are the other three things that I need." And then no, no response. And you know, a week goes by, two weeks go by, three weeks go by, and the client calls and says, "Is my stuff ready?" And you go, "Well, um, no, it's not ready. I still need these things. Well, I sent you what you needed." Well, actually, you sent me part of it, but I still need items, you know, three, four. Well, you got to let me know that you still need this stuff. Well, I, I did let you know. There was uh, an email that went out. Oh, okay, okay. You know, just what do you need? And and then they would usually, like, make up the answers on the phone because they're so frustrated. So not only are you are you not getting the information when you need it, when you do get the information, it's usually crappy information. So here's, here's how the um, – the waiting list solves that problem. So the same thing happens. You need the information. You send the email with the five things in it, and they immediately send you back the top two things, but you still need three. And so you respond back or call back or whatever it is, and you say, um, you know, I, I appreciate you getting this information back to me. I still need these three items. Okay, At the point that I say I still need these three items – that goes on my waiting for list. Actually, you know, at the point when I ask for the first five, that goes on my waiting list too. But now I'm crossing that one out and I'm entering a new item on my waiting for list. And it's, it tells me that I, I need these items. I don't have to list the three items. It could just say, uh, for Client Smith, I asked for three remaining pieces of information on uh, May 24th. And in a week... I'm going through my list because the last item is the review. We're going to talk about that in a second. I'm going through my list, and I see that on the 24th I asked the client for this. So I send the client another email that says, don't want to bother you, but I just I was going through my list today, and I noticed that on May 24th I asked you for three more pieces of information. I don't think I have those yet. Can you just give me a call or let me know when I can expect them? And so another week goes by. Now, remember, it was three weeks the first time before the client called and asked for their tax return. I'm wondering when we're going to be done with it. So at the end of the first week, I send them a follow-up. At the end of the second week, I get through my review again, and I see the same thing. So I reach out to the client again, and I say, I don't want to bother you or be a pest, but I, I was going through my notes, 
and I noticed that on the 24th, I asked you for three pieces of information. Can you let me know when those are going to be available? And the third week goes by, and I decide that this time, rather than send an email, I'm going to call the client. So I call them, and when they pick up the phone, they go, I know, I know, I know. On May 24th, you asked me for these three pieces of information. I still haven't gotten them to you yet. Um, you know, do you want the answers on the phone, or do you want me to just, uh, you know, go look for them now, and then I'll send them to you? And the client knows that I know exactly when I ask them for the stuff and what I ask them for. And that's a very, very effective way at gaining credibility with the client because the next time something happens and I tell them, um, you know, we already talked about this and here's what was said, they know that I'm a person who keeps track of things. They know that I don't just let this stuff slide and I'll go from meeting to meeting without following up and without taking notes and without knowing what was said and when was said and who committed to what and when and all that stuff. So the waiting for list and the idea of follow-up based on that list is something that will gain gain you personally incredible credibility at the table with whomever you're working with on these tasks. And that's the kind of the secret. I think that is the big secret sauce in David Allen's whole book. If you do nothing else but keep the waiting for list, you're going to get a lot out of it. So write stuff down. Understand the difference between tasks and projects. Creating the waiting for list. And then the weekly review. And the weekly review is something that you have to do if you're going to commit to getting better at time and task management. And that is simply sit down at, at every every week, once every week, Usually at the same time every week, so no more than a week is going by. So like, don't do it on Monday one week and then Friday the next week because that's almost two weeks between reviews. But once every seven days, you go through all of your tasks. And sometimes you'll start to understand that things can be dropped off the list because they don't matter anymore. That's what I call productive procrastination, when you put something off long enough that you just simply don't have to do it anymore. Uh, so, you know, if you... If you really wanted to uh, buy a birthday present for a particular client and you said that's on your list and on your list and on your list and then the birthday happens and you don't get it done, well, there's really no point in doing it anymore. So that's productive procrastination. You can you can actually uh, get out of doing stuff by not doing it. The um, But the other thing that will happen is you'll start to understand that some of the stuff on your list is really a project and not a task. And that's helpful because you can then set some some time aside to say, if this is really a project, I need to understand what the next physical action is on that project, or I know that I'm never going to start it. So you can't just have projects on your list. You have to at least have one task for every project so that you know what the next physical thing that you need to do uh, is for that project. Um, What else happens during the weekly review? Um... Sometimes you'll you'll decide that things just don't need to be on the list because they're not important enough. Um, that happens to me a lot. There's a lot of projects on my list that I want to get to, but truthfully, they're not a big priority in my life, and you can tell that by how long they sit there. And so sometimes it's very freeing. In one of those weekly reviews, I get kind of like you do working around the house on a Saturday. Suddenly the mood just strikes you to just purge stuff. And my wife goes through this, and Josie gets this kind of 
gleam in her eye, and, and you know that that Saturday, an awful lot of stuff is leaving the house because she's just in the mood to get rid of stuff. And that can happen with your project list, and you, you just have this very liberating feeling at the end of a, a 20 or 30-minute session with your list, and you've knocked 15 projects off and decided you're just not going to do those anymore. So the, but the weekly review is also where you go through that waiting for list, and if there's stuff that you need to follow up with people on, you can do it then, and I would encourage you to do it then. And sometimes that may take a little bit longer, but the real value in the waiting for list is in the follow-up. And so when I, when I talked earlier and I said I'm sitting in that meeting with the employees and I can tell who's good at uh, project management or, t- I'm sorry, task management and who's not, The person, if Susan is sitting next to Sean, and Susan is not only writing down her stuff, but she's writing down Sean's stuff, the reason she's writing down Sean's stuff is because that's going on her waiting for list. And she's saying on 524, Sean said he was going to do this, this, and this. And that lets me know that she's the kind of person who probably not only does the waiting for list, but also does the weekly reviews, and things don't fall through the cracks. And when she says she's going to do something... Or she says that somebody else is going to do something. She knows what she's talking about. So um, that's it in a nutshell as far as David Allen. Write stuff down. Understand difference between tasks and projects, the waiting for list, and the weekly review. There's also one more thing that, that could be, I think it was more important 10, 15 years ago, and that's the inbox. Uh, David Allen talks a lot about having an inbox. And I still think that that, the the concept of the inbox is important. If you want to know more about that, you go back and listen to that time and task management show. But um, these days we have so many inboxes that I think, you know, maybe it's even more relevant today because we have so many inboxes. But um, when I start talking about inboxes to people, sometimes their eyes kind of glaze over because they just can't get it because they have so many. So... I would say that you know, just understanding that everything that comes into your life, um, whether it's through a physical inbox or an email inbox or a project board or, or whatever it might be, you know, if that goes into your system, you know, that's what's important. So we're going to talk about that next. So your system. Why, why is it important that this be owned by the individual? And that's what I'm really talking about here. So like... So we started by saying, if they have a system, that's great. If they don't have a system, you can give them David Allen's book or you can break, break down you know, the main kind of salient points of David Allen in these four or five takeaways. But it has to be their system. And I'm, I'm, this goes back to that initial question from Paul and about using OmniFocus or some other tool set that's built for teams and I'm not an advocate of that. I don't believe that that's a good idea. And the reason I don't is because I think it has to be their system. And so I'm going to give you some some reasons why I think it needs to be their system. If it's your system, then you're the one who controls it and maintains it. So if it's a software product, you install the updates. If it's If it's a software product, you're constantly evaluating whether it's up to par with other systems that are out there. Um, but if it's their system, then they control and maintain it. It's up to them to understand whether this is going to work for them, whether it's what they like to use, whether it has the feature set that they need. And 
you're not responsible for making one thing work for 10 or 15 or 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 or however many people you want to use this thing. If it's your system, then your stuff goes into it. But if it's their system, then everything goes into it. And I think this is pretty pretty critical. Do you really want your employees having – do you want to make them good at life or do you want to make them good at, at your job, at the, the job that you want them to do, and then they're, they're on their own for the rest of their life? I really think that getting good at this kind of stuff benefits every area of your life. So if you can become a person of integrity at work with your time and tasks, it also means that you can become a person of integrity at your home with your – your commitments to your children and your family and your kids' school and your extended family members, um, your community commitments and that kind of stuff. If you're good at being your word because you've got a good system that you can trust and you can commit to it, then that's going to benefit you all over the place. But if I say, hey, I want you to use this system, but only work stuff goes into it because that's the way I've designed it. It's a system primarily driven by our needs here at the office and I have to maintain it and I can't really build it so that it benefit, you know, it's tailor fit to everybody's business and home needs because yours are different from hers, then you have a system where for the work stuff they're good and they're getting better, but the rest of their life is kind of a wreck. And And so for people who aren't good at time and task management, understand something. You're putting a system in place for them to use because they're not good at it. And you're saying you have to use the system. Do you really think they're going to go out and develop a second system all on their own for their personal stuff? And the answer is no. So I would much rather teach them a system that they use for everything or, or get them interested in a system. I don't really want to teach it to them so much, but open their eyes to some of the possibilities so that they create their own system and use it for everything in their life. And that way, I know that not only is is their life covered, but also my work is covered. Um, so in your system, they may adopt it and get better at what they do, but when, when they use their system, they're always going to be better at what they do. So, you know, adoption is one of those big things. If If you just mandate that you have to put something into place then you may get compliance on the face of it, but it may not really affect their effectiveness. So that's that's why I think their system is better. Um, what else? This is so the the last one is basically about iteration and improvement. So let's say that you put a system in place, and um, and the business starts using that system. Well, it's up to the business to iterate and improve that system, which probably isn't going to happen. <laughs> it was interesting when I when I left uh, college, um, when I graduated from school, my dad made me an offer to come work in his in his practice. He had a public accounting practice, and uh, so I I joined him and I was a part of his firm for four years. And I really liked systems and processes, so we didn't have a really good due date tracking system and so I built this um, kind of due date system and it was a a due date slash tickler system that we could use for our clients that would tell us when certain things were coming due and keep track of what returns we were doing for who and make sure that all the deadlines didn't get missed and I built this thing and um, and so we started using it and then 
after four years, I I left to go do something else, and then I came back into public accounting. And then, you know, a year or so ago, I sold my accounting practice to do more of the consulting work. And I didn't, you know, I completely forgotten about this system. And and like a year ago, I get a call from my dad's assistant, and she goes, "Hey, we're having a really hard time logging into this thing. This this report that we were running isn't working anymore." I'm like, what are you talking about? And they were still using the system that I built in the mid-90s to do all their due date stuff. And so the point is, a lot of businesses, when they get a system that just kind of works and covers their basic needs, they quit. The iteration, no, I'm not going to, it's not broken. Why fix it? And time and task management systems can be like that too. So if if the business is the one who's going to create that, understand that, it's, you're going to create it today, and you're probably going to be using it for the next five years. But if their employees develop their own systems, then they're going to be the ones responsible for iterating and improving that. And they're going to iterate and improve as often as they need to to keep up with the stuff that they want to do. So I'd say that you're much, much better off having them develop their systems rather than just mandating that, that you use your systems. The... Uh, the reason that I think you ultimately want to come up with a, a way for them to develop their own stuff is that you'd much rather have a team that each has something that's personal to them, not only makes them good at what they do 9 to 5, it just makes them better at keeping their commitments and understanding what they're supposed to be doing than you would just having a team that's good at using the latest tool that you've implemented. If, if I have my choice among the two, it's a pretty easy decision to say, I want a team that's more effective because the team members just know how to manage their life better. Not, not just the life that they have here at work, but their life all around. So when, when should it be your system? Well, I think when you get into project management, and that's what we're going to be talking about in upcoming shows, then it's your system because the project belongs to the group. The, the task belongs to the individual. And so if I'm asking you to get a specific task done, that's your task. It's not my task. It's your task. It's not the company's task. That's your task. So you need to have a system for managing that task. But if it's a project, um, and it could be a, a, a really big a really big task that is kind of a project and that David Allen definition of a project is just anything that's more than one task. Um, Maybe I am giving you a project and that's your project. And so you go off in management. And if you have your own system, you'll be able to manage that project. But if it's an organization-wide project, a major initiative, and a lot of the stuff that we work on with companies in strategic planning and execution is going to be organization-wide projects, then you need a company system. You need a team-wide and organization-wide system for managing that. Um, and it's up to the project manager to keep these people accountable. So the kind of the basics of a project management system, if, if you wanted to get into, you know, well, because I can see, you know, Paul might push back on me and say, well, okay, so it's not omni-focused for teams, but it's effective project management, and you do need to have that for teams. Well, and I agree with that. But what is kind of the basics of the, the basic project management template consists of um, to-do items and timelines. And we know that the to-do items, those are going to wind up on somebody's task list. 
but where those to-do items fit within the organization is that there's certain things have to be done by certain times. So rather than say the essential ingredient of a project management system is a, is a task or a list of tasks, I'd say it's a timeline because certain tasks are going to have to be done by certain times. So I would say map out the milestones for, for what has to be done when on a timeline and then you might have documents and also some discussions that you want in a central place to help manage the project better. But that's basically it. There's not a, a whole lot of um, secret sauce as far as the tool set goes for project management. Now, the, the, the philosophy of project management or the framework for project management that we're going to talk about in upcoming episodes I think is hugely important. But the actual tool sets that you would use for it I think are fairly simplistic. So... We're like 48 minutes in right now, and I think I've said about all I have to say, but I want to come back to kind of the the essence of why you want each one of these team members to develop their own system. And it all comes down to you, you want when you interact with people, you want to be focused on communication, not logistics. And what I mean by that is when... When Sean and Susan are talking after that meeting, or whether or I'm talking, say I'm talking to Sean and Susan, I want to be talking to Sean or Susan about what the not just the status of their project, but how it's going. Is it effective? Is it accomplishing the things that we thought it was going to accomplish? Rather than just looking at a report and saying, hey, Sean, you don't have these three boxes checked off yet. What's going on with that? Now, some managers might think that that is a a very valuable thing to be able to do, to be able to say, hey, you don't have these three boxes checked off. What's going on with that? I think that Sean should know ahead of time that he not only has those three boxes unchecked, he's got another four behind it that aren't unchecked because some of those tasks that I gave him are actually projects for him. And that brings up another good point is that if I'm the one who's dictating what the task management system looks like, and let's say that I have, I don't think it exists, um, but I know a lot of people are clamoring for it. Let's say that that I have um, OmniFocus for Teams and that I... Uh, well, Nosby. Nosby is one of these um, team-oriented task management systems. So let's say I'm using Nosby, and um, so I've got this task for uh, for Sean that says um, summarize the market research for um, demographic X Y Z. Okay, so I put that into into Nosby and give that to Sean. And for for me, summarizing the research on that demographic is a task because for me, it involves that's the next physical action. But for Sean, that might be a project. And one of the reasons that that box might not be checked off for a week or two is because Sean looks at that task and just goes, I got no freaking clue how to get started on this. Or he does know how to get started. But that's not what he's thinking about when he looks at what I've called the task, which to him is really a project. When he looks at that, he sees kind of four hours of uncertainty. And if you've pressed him, he could tell you what the next thing to do to get started would be. But nobody's pressing him 
Nobody's telling him that he has to do some microplaning and break this down into smaller steps. He's just looking at a potentially four-hour project and, and doesn't have a lot of days where he has a free four hours to get it done. So when you have these organization-wide task management programs and you have one person dictating what a task is for another person, you're going to run into these situations where my task is your project. And rather than communicate about what's actually happening in the company, we're just pushing uh, tasks back and forth and assigning them to people and saying, well, I don't understand why you don't have it done yet. And this could, this, a friend of mine, Larry Bean, gave me an article. Um, it's an old, old article, I think from Harvard Business Review. I'll put it up in the show notes. And it's basically about, you know, passing monkeys from one person to the other. You know, what's the monkey? I've got a monkey on my back, and I take that monkey off and put it on your back. And I think it, it, that's what most team-oriented task management solutions wind up doing. It just becomes a way to transfer monkeys from one person's back to the other. And if we have a system where everybody has their own way of handling their own monkeys, then when I get ready to hand a monkey over to you, I have to actually recognize that, hey, this is a monkey that's on my back, and I'm trying to get it off my back and onto yours, and I need you to accept it because I don't know how to get it into your system. So I want to get it in. I want to get the monkey into your system, but I don't know how to do that because it's not my system. And so then we actually have start having a conversation about the stinking monkey. Whereas if we've just got this this elaborate tool that we can use to, with a click of a mouse, take the monkey off my back and put it onto yours, it creates a ton of problems inside the organization because nobody's talking about the monkeys. They're just trying to transfer them back and forth to get some of them off of their own back and onto somebody else's. That's why have everybody having their own system, I think, is much, much, much preferable to us having a team-wide system. If you've got... Um, if you've got the the sense that this is something somebody else needs to be doing, then you go to that person, you have a conversation about it, and they go and they say, "Okay, you're asking me to do this uh, this um, this market research, break summarize the market research on this demographic." Um, okay. I'm not exactly sure why we even went out and got this market research. Can you tell me that? Because that would help me with the summary. If I know the reasons, we, the question we were trying to answer, then that would help me when it comes to summarizing this stuff. And so for Sean, the, when I say summarize the market research, that's a project for him. And the first line item on that is to go to Joey and ask what were the reasons that we commissioned the market research in the first place. And then this, the second task might be read through the market research and highlight the areas that answer or support the question that, that I got from Joey about why we went and got this in the first place. So that's, that's the point of, of making it their system and not your system. When um, I'll tell you that when you get to the point where you've got everybody in the organization with their own system, a couple things really start to happen um, quickly. There's a high degree of trust that develops when I'm talking to somebody about something that I need them to do, and I know that they get it. Not only do I know that they've got it, but I know that 
when they uh, put it on their list, it's not going to fall through the cracks. That's a, an incredibly freeing feeling to be able to to stand in the hallway with somebody and say, hey, I've, I'm working on this project, and there's a couple of things that I need you to do. I need you to, to, to do X, Y, and Z, and it, if I could have it back by such and such a date, that would be great. I need you to do A, B, and C. That's not as urgent. And then I need you to do this other thing. And if you've got time to do that today and get it back to me, that would be fantastic. And they're writing all this stuff down, and I'm writing it down because it's got to go on my waiting for list. And then a week later, I follow up with them, and I say, I was just going through my list, and um, I've got these three open items with you. Can you tell me where they're at? And they, they don't take offense because they know that I'm just going through my waiting for list because they know they have a waiting for list. And this, so there are no surprises. And when you, I don't think that you can overestimate the impact this has on an organization's culture. And I'll tell you, with, some, with that one client we started the, the session with, we're still working through some of these issues. And, and here's where it kind of helps you from a managerial perspective, is if, if what we're trying to create is a culture where people will um, have a high degree of integrity and trust among each other. And we've got people who, after a considerable amount of time, still are not able to do the things we're asking them to do um, or do things the way we're asking them to do them so that we can build that culture of integrity and trust. Then guess what? We got the wrong people. And what started out as... Uh, well, you know, um, John over here, he's he's just kind of a free spirit, and he's that typical salesman, and, you know, I don't know that he's ever going to have a system. He just gets it done. Well, th- after two years, and nobody in the company trusts John because every time he says he's going to do something, he forgets about it and doesn't follow through, or he, customers can't rely on him to follow up with them when he said he was going to follow up with them. You know, John either can get on board and get a system, get make his own system, and the the only thing that we're asking of that system is that it help him keep his word. If he can't do that, then John's not the right person. You as a manager, you as a leader, can give John that opportunity, and using some of the things we've talked about, you can give him the tools so that if he so chooses, he can pick those up and he can begin to get better at those things. If he chooses not to, that's a choice he's making. And as the leader, you may have to get to a point where you decide that his choices are really incompatible with staying on your team, and then it's time to make a change. One of the things that I'm really passionate about is businesses making a difference in the world. I think that as business leaders, we have as great an opportunity to impact the world as anybody else, as, as clergy, as politicians, as nonprofit groups. I think business, of all of those, I think business has the greatest potential to really impact the world. But it only happens at this fundamental level if the people that are part of those business, businesses do what they say they're going to do. And I know that I've got a lot of room to get better at this. There's a, there's a lot of opportunities that I have to make improvements on delivering things when I say I'm going to deliver them and how I say I'm going to deliver them and holding other people to account who are supposed to deliver things 
to me or on my behalf. And, um, you know, so this is just a call to get better at what we do because I think by doing that, our business has become much more effective. And when they're effective, they impact the world. And at, at my heart of hearts, I believe that's something that we're called to do. We're called to make a difference. And when you have teams that are doing this kind of stuff, it's pretty easy to see they're making a big difference. So again, if you found this helpful, if you like what you're hearing on a weekly basis, we release these every Monday morning. If you like what you hear, please go to iTunes. Uh, the easiest way to find the podcast in iTunes is to do a search for Joey Brannon, and you'll see the Axiom Podcast show up there. Leave a review on iTunes. If you have comments about this particular episode, I'd encourage you to also, after you've left your review, uh, go to the show notes page at axiomstrategic.com slash podcast slash 007 and leave those in the comments feed and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks.